Mountain Farm and Construction Vehicles. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, Saturday, 8 till noon. More information at 800-LG-TIRES. 800-LG-TIRES. The Slighter Agency on Main Street in Margaretville, a neighborhood independent insurance agency educating consumers about insurance decisions after a life-changing event, such as a marriage, divorce, death, a job-related change in benefits, and about coverage options. Open Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 5. More information at 845-586-2641 or slighteragency.com. Rockland Cider Works, upstate in Gilboa, an agritourism cidery with vacation rentals on a sprawling former dairy farm. New York State produced beer, wine, spirits, and gluten-free hard cider made from New York State apples and live music throughout December. Rockland Cider Works, upstate on Stryker Road in Gilboa. Details at rocklandciderworks.com. This is WIOX Roxbury wishing you a Merry Christmas and a peaceful and prosperous New Year and humbly asking for a year-end donation. As always, your support keeps our community, your community radio station on the air with wildly diverse live and local entertainment and information. And it couldn't be easier to make your tax-deductible year-end donation at WIOXradio.org. Just click the Donate button. In the spirit of the holiday season, your neighbors thank you. Thank you, neighbor. Thank you. 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 Oh, thank you. 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 Thank you.
Good evening. You're listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20. 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi and everywhere at WIOXradio.org on computers or smartphones. This is From the Forest. Every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., we talk about a different forest-related topic. And tonight, we've got the CFA staff, Catskill Forest Association field staff. Got Zane here, Zara, and John. And uh, tonight, all we're doing is a forestry check-in, see what's on our minds, see what we've been seeing in the woods, what's going on in our Catskill Mountains, in the forests, and just some this and that. So what's up, guys? Hey. Hey. Not much. What's going on with you, John? Well, I've still been hunting. Yeah. (laughs) In any spare time I can find. Um, Trying to find a buck. Hunted this past weekend, saw just one non-legal buck yeah. and a lot of does, but I don't have a doe, doe tag for this season. Mm-hmm. I used it. How's that doe that you got? Doe I got? Huge. The biggest doe, I don't know if it's the biggest I've ever shot weight-wise, but I can't describe her. She's just deep and thick. <laughs> <laughs> we had her hanging next to a doe that my wife shot in the garage, and it's like night and day. I don't know how to, just the body size and shorter, so her chest and her her rear end is so large, it makes her legs look short. Mm. She's stout. Yeah, and even her head, you look at her head and her jawline, it's just, I don't know how to describe this deer. <laughs> the only way to describe it is this Saturday, Casco Forest Association is having a deer processing workshop. That is the deer we will be... Uh, skinning, quartering, and yeah. butchering. If you want to see it, come to that workshop. Our info is on our website, catscoforest.org. Yeah, uh, I'll be interested to see that deer. How much does she weigh? Uh, 118, and that's the benchmark. I, I always tell everybody, everybody that hunts with me, if you shoot a 120-pound doe, you got a really big doe. Yeah. Like, I've uh, participated, you know, and, and heard about, you know, big deer contests or whatever, and there's always a big buck pool but there's always a doe portion of the contest and the winner is always in the 115 117 118 pound range so this is up there this is it's not like mm-hmm. extraordinarily big like as an outlier it's just the shape of her is just big <laughs> <laughs> what, I, are, what are bucks normally like how'd she compare to a oh uh, if you got a two and a half year old buck it would be comparable one twenty to one thirty okay. usually so that kind of size uh, a big buck like a three and a half plus will be three and a half year olds I usually find them in the one forties one fifties lower one sixties sometimes yeah and then an older buck if you happen to upon a really big old mountain buck one sixty eight to one seventy five top end average obviously there's outliers there could be larger deer out there but yeah those are kind of the classes that I've put. Yeah. Aged deer into. Yeah. And then a year and a half old deer, 100, 100 pound range. Mm. Uh, where'd you take her? Where'd I find her? Uh, town of Delhi. Mm. And I tell you what, there was two big does in the group. There was a bunch of deer. And uh, she presented, she was the first large deer that presented a shot. And then the second deer, the one behind her, I think was taller. It, had, it fixed the leg issue. <laughs> I remember how tall this that's she was also a large deer and I just remember how tall she was when she walked by. Yeah. Um 
anyway, so I don't know what she would have weighed, but there was two really large deer in that group. Hmm. And the funny thing is, which I don't know, I've never had anything like this happen. So I was walking in and I jumped those deer up. They got away. They ran away from me and I was kind of mad because those were the deer I was hunting. They were in the spot I was going to and I didn't expect them to be there. And anyway, they got away. So I decided to move down the mountain and leave that spot. And I moved like straight down this steep bank, two levels down the hill. It was about 200 feet in elevation. And I just was getting ready to sit down. And here comes deer running at me from the direction <laughs> these other deer went. But remember, I was way up on the top of the mountain when I found them. Right. So here comes deer running. And there's, there's four deer again. I'm like, what's the chances? These are the same four deer. And uh, they were, because I remembered how big the bodies of the two deer were when they were running away. And here they come running back. So I got the doe that I got. And then right after I shot, here comes a coyote running behind them all. So <laughs> the coyote found the deer and chased them back to me. <laughs> so There you go. He gets the assist on that one. It's a pretty good scene to witness. I've never too. seen anything like it. Yeah. It's, I was I was scratching my head. The deer didn't know what was going on. <laughs> yeah. It was an interesting situation to be in. But. Cool. And then, of course, I had to drag that deer right before I shot. I was like, should I? Because I knew what I had to do. There's no, I had no permission to on the properties below me. I started mm -hmm. at the top. I had to go back up to the top. My truck was at the top. So it was a 200-foot elevation up a steep embankment drag. With yeah. a big-bodied deer. But you made it. I made it. Yeah. Hey, I lived to tell the tale. <laughs> what do you have with you to do that? Um, I carry a little... This was one I bought, but you can make one. Um, a little drag harness thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's basically a hardened PVC-type handle that's maybe a foot long with um, a... This is a rubber-coated metal cord but you can do it with rope if you wanted with two two u-shaped loops on either end so you could put a loop so no matter which way you slide that pvc handle one of the two loops will enlarge in or tighten mm. so then i'll enlarge in one side put it around her head and then i'll enlarge it in the opposite side put it around both front feet so then when you pull the handle everything cinches up and then the the feet become in line with the the jaw of the deer i guess mm -hmm. and when you pull everything lifts off the ground and reduces friction nice so that's the problem with dragon doe is like there's nothing to hang on to so you could either grab them by the leg which works but then the head is like free to drag behind and always grabs onto small trees and rocks and just adds friction or you can grab the head which is kind of more difficult but then again those two front feet are doing the same thing so yeah this fixes that yeah so. You've been hunting too, Nude, Zane? Yeah, not as uh, uh, thrilling as John's story, but uh, I've been in the <laughs> I've been in the tree stand. I, I moved it to a new spot, and all I've been encountering are just these young uh, bucks, these little spike horns, which legally I can't shoot. So I've just been watching them uh, root around in, in the in the leaf litter there, eating roots, I imagine. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's been kind of interesting. I see where doe, a group of does usually come in, so I'm going to move my tree stand again. But it's just been really interesting to um, just watch these uh, 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 this one spike or this crotch horn that came up behind me the other day, um, up behind the hill behind my stand. Um, 
and I heard him. I heard some uh, uh, movement, and then he ended up moving way around me, and I think it was only about like 15 feet high, and uh, from what I could tell, I think he might have seen me or looked up and viewed me, and so I stood stone still for a few minutes, and then he ended up moving in front of me, and I watched him for a while, but definitely within shooting range. Well, that's fun. It's too bad. You know, you're a new hunter, and uh, here's my thought anyway. We allow a youth season for new hunters. Mm -hmm. They get Columbus Day weekend with a rifle. That's in October, which is the bow season for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And they can shoot whatever they have tags for, but you they will have a buck tag. And we allow them to shoot any buck. No antler restriction for them. Mm -hmm. Also, during any other season, antler restriction is lifted. For These are for kids. It's uh, 12, 13, 14. Um, it's to promote new hunters. I don't understand like why this is your first year. We should, I think we should grant new hunters, if they could prove this is their first year buying a hunting right. license ever, which is in the system, it'd be right. easy to prove. Yeah. It's not like you, you know, any game warden can, you know, be able to check on that if you were in that situation. Yeah, but I'm all ready to report my kill. Wouldn't that be uh, cool? I mean, I th I'm all for that, but. Yeah, sounds good yeah, to me. You think about it, and uh, I've talked with a, a few guys about the story, and they, they've, uh, told me to just, just shoot it. Nah, I but I'm not, not going to do that. It's not, just not the type him. of hunter I want to be. But yeah, it is, uh, I don't know, I didn't find it frustrating. Maybe if I see that same spike horn or crotch horn uh, five more times or so, I'd get a little annoyed by it. But maybe that's my fault. I'd have to move my I'd stand. be annoyed. I'm annoyed with the buck. I saw two bucks this weekend that I yeah. wish I could. You know what? When I grew up, this antler restriction wasn't there. And I get it. I get the whole... Um, you know, I get both sides of the argument. I get, you know, wanting to encourage an older age class of bucks and mm -hmm. all the biological arguments that go along with that. And But I also get the meat hunting thing. Like, you know, we're working people. We can only go out for so long. We only have so much time. And uh, if you want to shoot that buck, why not? I, I mean, the first one of the first several bucks I shot, three, four, five that I shot when I was younger, before this antler restriction, were what would be non-legal today. Wow, yeah. Um, yeah, that's another big lesson I have, is just the time, uh, managing your time with hunting. Um, something I didn't... I was thinking about gear, I was thinking about setup and all that, but uh, not the kind of time management that I had to do, uh, fitting in a hunt uh, after work or on the weekends, trying to do other things, yeah. other tasks and duties. It's uh, Yeah, it's, it's definitely... You realize uh, there was a study done, I forget by who, but they found that on average takes about an average hunter 40 hours per deer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you got to commit a, work week. a full work week <laughs> to deer hunting uh, just for maybe a chance. <laughs> yeah. And I believe it. You know, it's, uh, it sucks, but it's fun. I think it's great. I mean, it's just uh, being in tune with things and sitting there and there's a lot of white noise in your head that when you start to tune into what's around you after that first hour, um, you really start to pick up on things. You hear things, um, and uh, mostly squirrel, crows, but uh, every you know you start to hear those footfalls, and that was that was pretty neat to uh, watch that, um, hear that uh, spike horn come over the hill, and then kind of go into the open where I had my stand, and um, it's just to see that wild animal and, and yeah. see how. It spends its time when uh, it doesn't know you're there. 
um, and then it's gone. So that was really neat. Awesome. Mm -hmm. I also got a bear. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, there's a photo of that on the email blast. Yeah, I uh, I really wanted one this year. Yeah. My wife said early in the season, someone's got to get a bear. We're out of fat. <laughs> I said, okay. When's the last time you got a bear? Two years ago. Okay. So that bear lasted two years yeah. worth of worth of oil. Yeah. So. so right on time. Right on time. We yeah. got it. How'd you get that one? Um, Like most people who shoot bears, it was not. I was not looking for a bear. Mm -hmm. You know, most bear harvests in New York State are deer hunters who stumble upon a bear, and that's all. That's what I did. Honestly, I was sitting... I had been sitting for about 20 minutes, and I finally just was scanning the ledges above me long enough and f found him. He was he was there the whole time. Yeah. So put a stalk on, and I got him. Nice. And uh, I thought it was a lot of fun, but we packed him out of the woods. And, um, he weighed, I don't know, I didn't actually put him on a scale, but I'm judging by the size of him. Compared to the size of the one I know I, I weighed, or uh, of known weight last time, um, and trying to lift it, I know I can I can lift a full body deer. I can't carry it, but I can lift it off the ground if I try from a standstill in like a squatting position and lift. And I know the weights of most deer, and I couldn't do that with a bear. So I know it was heavier than these average deer weights that I just rattled off. So I'm putting them at like 175 ish. Yeah. Based on his size, and um, for reference, that doe was 120. I'm really excited about how much meat I'm going to get off the doe. I think the doe is going to yield more meat than the bear. <laughs> um, the bear is crazy. Like by the time you get that hide off, the hide is very heavy, very dense, all the fat, and then you debone it. The bone structure of a bear is so dense. The mm -hmm. bag of bones I have left is just heavy. Um, so anyway, there's I I, I don't think. I'm gonna, I mean, I, I know what I got. It's already in the freezer, but uh, I believe that heavy doe or a big buck is going to yield more than the bear. Yeah. Uh, and then the bear would have outweighed that by 50 pounds. What's your favorite bear recipe? <laughs> um, uh, you know what we did? I have a, I carry a little, um, little camp stove in my backpack when I hunt, mm -hmm. when I get, you know, further away than just the backyard. And, um, you know, I sometimes I do other things like I boil chaga tea or, you mm -hmm. know, it's fun to just be in the woods doing other stuff while you're hunting. Uh, anyway, so we, we rendered some fat from the bear off the carcass right there in front of us. Nice. And uh, we cooked the tenderloins right there in the woods. And I think that was my, maybe it was just because of the accomplishment was yeah still fresh and we were excited, but that was a that that meal tasted really good. Oh, I bet that's bear tenderloins cook, than cooked that, in bear yeah. oil. <laughs> right in the woods, right where you got wow. the bear. Yeah, so that's awesome. Um, did you? How old do you think the bear was? We're gonna find out because uh, I already sent in a tooth to the DEC for aging. They do. Um, if you get a bear, they want a tooth. Mm. So it's voluntary. You don't have to. It used to be mandatory, but it's voluntary now. And of course, I'll volunteer for for some data and they'll give me a report back next you cool. know, sometime in the summer early fall next year yeah so i mean when you skin a deer you, you look at the hide and you see kind of the the history of uh the animal on the hide and, and what it's done what what can you tell from a bear hide from what you can see oh, well you'll be a, i'll be able to tell the same if there's any scars or um probably same with the deer i imagine there'll be a lot of tick scars around the neck mm -hmm. uh, it was a male 
so maybe some fighting scars on the forehead or something like that. But right now you can't tell anything because the hide is just so green. It's so fresh and still got, I haven't fleshed it. It's got all the fat. Yeah, a lot of stuff obscured. So uh, it's currently rolled up and frozen and that'll be dealt with and tanned later this summer. But I'll find out then. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Did you tan the, the pelt of the bear you got? Two years ago? I got it tanned. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't do it myself. And yeah. I, might, I don't know what I'll do with this one. Maybe I'll try it. Maybe I'll send it away again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Yeah. That's awesome. Ooh. Anyway, what have you guys been up to in the woods? I haven't been doing much in the Catskill Forest, but I did go to Seattle over Thanksgiving. Awesome. And uh, I also wasn't in the forest much there. But um, Thanksgiving morning, um, I was with some family and we went to... Um, uh, kind of a peninsula that's in the in Seattle um, that goes out into what I believe is Lake Washington. If anyone's familiar with the Seattle area, and um, there's a a trail that kind of does a loop around that peninsula, and so we decided, you know, we're going to go uh, for a, a light hike through there. And then as we we're walking, we passed kind of a, a stairwell with a sign at the bottom that said. Um, and it led into the forest, and it said, uh, ancient, fragile forest. Uh, you know, please be careful, or something like that. And it didn't offer any other information. There was no um, plaque describing, like, what that meant, or why it was a fragile forest, or anything like that. And But um, I was interested, and I opted to take the trail into the forest. Um, and it was pretty cool. There was some really huge trees in there. I mean, like, some of our East Coast like the biggest trees in the Catskills would not have touched the smallest trees in this forest in terms of, well, not maybe not the smallest, but you know what I mean. Like mm. there were just really, really huge trees, um, probably an average of four or five feet diameter. Um, a lot of trees I don't, that I've never seen, like Western species of some species we have here, like Western hemlock, uh, Western red cedar versus Eastern hemlock and Eastern red cedar. Um, but a lot of Douglas fir, really huge Douglas fir, um, 80 to 100 feet tall, I'd guess. Um, and a tree I've never seen before called Pacific Madrone. I don't know if you guys have ever nope. heard of that tree, but it kind of looks like a, it's an evergreen, uh, a broadleaf evergreen tree. Um, and it kind of reminds me of rhododendron, but in the form of a tree. So it's just really huge. Um, and, um... What else over there? Oh, and big leaf maple. That was one I hadn't seen in person either, um, which does, in fact, have very big leaves. <laughs> but um, that was pretty cool, yeah, to see all those really huge trees. You see a lot of, like, landscaping. You know what kind of trees people have on, like, their lawns and stuff that have been planted? Throughout the whole city is mostly Douglas fir that I saw. Um, just from the road, most. I mean, I didn't walk through the whole city, but um, the neighborhood we were we were staying in an Airbnb in, um, and then, um, you know, just driving around, watching from the car. A lot of evergreen trees. Um, there's some Norway spruce over there too. Um, some what I assume uh, might be a cultivar of big leaf maple. People had planted in their yards. Um, and then a lot of other ornamentals that I wouldn't know what they were or didn't get a closer look at. But it seems, landscaping is seems pretty popular there. Like lots of people yard after yard after yard had like all these very you know manicured looking trees and shrubs and things. Um, so it would have been interesting to see more and you know we're really 
Seattle's really close to um, Mount Rainier National Park, which I didn't get to go to, but um, I'm sure I'll be back and get to explore more um, and see some some proper forest. But this park, this this forest in this park was, um, I looked it up afterwards, and it's about 120 acres. So it didn't seem that big while I was there, but um, I guess I just <coughs> missed a chunk of it. But Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's nice to see some some new trees. I still, I think I still prefer the Catskill Forest or the Eastern Forest. I mean, the tree, the, seeing the really large trees is definitely impressive, but um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just biased because I've grown up uh, over on this side of the, the country, but I just think we have some really interesting, diverse forests over here that that are pretty cool as well. So, Yeah, I... Uh, I spent thanksgiving in texas and um i uh always looking at the trees around there they have a lot of oaks a lot of live oaks which are kind of a uh kind of very sprawling type tree it kind of looks like our willows uh they're very short and their limb wood kind of stretches way out so they're a really cool tree to uh, uh sit under for shade because they have these very low uh branches um but uh then the uh, pecan trees uh, out there are beautiful. Um, last time I went, it was December, and that's when the pecan trees were actually dropping their nuts. Nice. Um, so there's a few trees that uh, uh, I was uh, <laughs> collecting from. Uh, but going out there in November, the pecans haven't dropped yet, so they're in the tree, so I couldn't get them. So I had to go buy them. <laughs> uh, but last I, I can see them in the tree, and I can see them... You know, they're ripe and they want to fall, but Getting ready. They're, they, they're not on the ground yet. So I learned a little bit uh, more about the trees. I learned about the uh, mesquite trees down there, the honey mesquite trees. And the only thing I can really compare it to is, here is the uh, uh, black locust around yeah. here. Um, and I've learned that the mesquite isn't really native to Texas. It kind of moved up from, from Mexico. Uh, over time, and now it's just kind of growing everywhere. Um, but that's another kind of uh, waste place type tree. You, you see it everywhere. Um, but uh, it has a compound leaf with small little leaflets on it. Um, but uh, yeah. And a Mexican plum is also really common there. Hmm. So, just, Neat. Yeah. Yeah. Cool to see some different trees. Yeah, that's that's where yeah. Maya is drawn to. Um, but yeah, they definitely plant a lot more varieties of, of trees around there and landscapes. Where we were, it was kind of like a suburb type area, and um, everybody's lawn has like two trees. Uh, but uh, a lot of different oaks there, but um, just a lot, of, a lot of very different species there um, compared with uh, where I grew up, where you just kind of see the same trees all the time, like Norway spruce, Norway maple, uh, maybe a pine here, same ornamental you see. But out there, they planted them pretty diverse. So I think they've learned a lot of lessons from us out here in the east where we've planted just streets lined with elms or the same maple tree and, um, you know, a certain hey, no, pest they're nice comes trees. through. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but then a certain pest comes through and then you got to sure. take all those trees down. So just planting more diverse trees. Um, interesting. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, this is From the Forest. Every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., we talk about a different forest-related topic. Tonight, we're doing a forestry check-in with Catskill Forest Association staff and talking some this and that about what staff's been seeing in the woods and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. 
I'm lonesome but happy, rich but I'm broke, and the good Lord knows the reason. I'm just a cowpoke from Cheyenne to Douglas. The ranges I know, 'cause I drift with the wind. No one cares where I go. In these old worn-out jeans, so I'll stop eating steak, and I'll go back to beans. I'll pick up a ten spot in Prescott. I know riding the Bronx in the big rodeo. Springtime, a Philly all fine. I might spend all summer. Her on my mind. I'll never be branded and never be broke. I'm a carefree range riding, drifting cowpoke. Listening to WIOX Community Radio 91.3 FM. This is from the forest. Every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., we talk about a different forest related topic. Tonight, uh, the Catskill Forest Association field staff are talking what they've just been seeing in the woods forestry check in night. So there's Zara, Zane, and John. So, um, mentioned a little bit about what we've been doing on our own time, but um, what have you guys been doing for work? I know we. Uh, been still active with programs this time of year things are slowing down a lot for me um i kind of seem to just jump from a full schedule you know last month my schedule was pretty full to suddenly somehow managed to not schedule anything so far for december so kind of uh tapered off in consultations um, which is primarily what i do um but that's okay because i've been focusing a lot more on uh you know getting print materials ready for CFA for next year. Um, you know, a lot of planning for some exciting events and things that we're going to be offering next year and um, getting our winter newsletter out to print. So 
it's kind of been taking up all my time. Cool. What's going on in the newsletter? We got some nice staff articles. I think it it flows really well, and um, you know, as always, we have Mike Kudish who uh, wrote an article about Willow, Willow and the Catskill, specifically Black Willow. Um, Ryan kind of contributed a, a pretty nice piece about hunting, some time uh, hunting a deer in the woods, and uh, our board president Mike Porter um, talks about backyard bird feeding in the winter. Uh, Zane, you have a pretty detailed article about tools in the woods. Um, yeah. thought that was pretty cool, complete with... It's a two-parter. Yeah. So so if you're interested in things, uh, simple tools that you'd use in the woods, you know, uh, I don't know, what what are the examples you kind of... Yeah. Inclined plane and leather. Inclined, yeah, yeah and all so that. It's inspired <laughs> by the, the ancient uh, simple tools uh, of the ancient world, the, uh, the wedge, the inclined plane, the lever the pulley and the wheel and axle mm-hmm. and uh i was just um inspired to write an article about all the ways we use those different simple tools and in, in different fashions in the woods and then a lot of the work that we do at cfa in the woods or in the trees even so i wrote an article kind of running through all the different examples i could think of off, off the top of my head of uh how we use those things in the woods and just how essential they are how they work their mechanics and what they allow us to do um, and that certainly uh, knowledge members can take and make working in the woods a little bit easier, a little bit more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a lot, so I split it into two. So you'll see part two in the spring. But uh, I'm excited about Mike's article. I th- yeah, I, think I mean, uh, everybody kind of had a lot of uh, information Mike packed Kudish, into their say. yeah, packed into their articles. Um, I know John, you had a. Um, kind of detailing a process you did on on your family property, creating some wildlife habitat with brush piles. I thought that was pretty cool, too. Um, kind of elevating the standard uh, landowner who's just throwing some brush together and calling it a day and saying, oh, the, the wildlife, it's for the wildlife. But uh, Yeah, you could be more deliberate. You can always be more deliberate in yeah. your actions. And, and uh, wildlife management's one of them. Yeah. With a mm. pile of brush. What's that? Even with a pile of brush. Even with oh, a yeah. pile of brush. Yeah. Elements to consider. Get your hands dirty. Get out in your forest. Um, and then we have a, a recap of our, um, you, uh, some of our listeners and, and members might know, we, CFA kind of launched this educational format this past year, just kind of testing the waters on something new. It seems to be successful called the Catskill Woodsman Education Series and we held two different, uh, these are long-form workshops over uh, two or three days uh, where we have our members get together in a small group and learn something hands-on to do with forestry or the woods and, or land stewardship in some way. And uh, we did our um, uh, cabin building module this this November. So there's a recap in there of that with some photos and some uh, short descriptions of how the workshop went, and I think it was really successful. And uh, we'll probably offer some other things in in the coming years. Yeah, we got one planned right now. We're thinking of uh, doing everything firewood related. Yeah, and you've probably heard on this show before. There's a lot to learn about firewood. It can be as simple as just cutting a tree, chopping it up, and burning it. But just like maple syrup can be just as simple as boiling water, but there's a science behind it too. So, for sure, uh, a lot of wisdom to it too. Yeah, a lot of learned wisdom, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, we're always looking for submissions. So if anybody uh, 
ever has any projects they'd want to write about or document and submit it to um, CFA, and we will uh, review it and uh, hopefully publish it in our next newsletter. Yeah, I think it was a good one this time. I didn't manage to get an article in. I try to get one in almost every time, but it's a little bit busy. Um, but I think it turned out well anyway. Yeah, I always have unfinished articles. Uh, I never write them straight. I just write a little bit of chunk and then move on to something else. And yeah. So I got a lot to finish. But yeah, that's what my uh brush pile one was i yeah. literally had like a paragraph left left to write from last year when i started i was like oh this is easy i'll get this done and submit it on time yeah i always got a few and you know i get passionate about a topic and start writing about it and then kind of like you said just leave it alone for a while and you can always pull it out of your back pocket in a in a pinch and finish it off um but yeah what have you guys been up to well i've been using my wood stove my insert that i got um, I finally got some really seasoned wood that I've cut. Um, the first time I was using it, I wasn't really using fully seasoned wood, but this year I am. And uh, mostly been burning ash, um, and it's been really neat. I love getting back into it. Um, one of my piles fell over, but that's to be expected. <laughs> Did you finish your... Uh, Holzhausen. Yeah, it's not, what is it? It's a Holzhausen. Holzhausen. You know, I had a member ask me today. The beehive. How, how this, so they're listening right now. Oh, is yeah. it is it one of those round yep. shaped stacking patterns? Yep. Yeah. They wanted to know how yours turned out because I've never done one. So, my, I I learned some lessons with it. I didn't pitch it inward enough, um, but it's not finished yet. Uh, I still got some trees that um, I've promised to to fell and, and split up and. But I like it because I'm, I'm going to make another one, um, but just making the walls around it, and then when I go uh, get this tree, I can just back my truck into it and just throw it right in the big old bucket there and just have it all uh, uh, in the middle. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's held. Um, this The one I built was all red oak, but so I'm still giving it another season. Um, but... Oh, it's held. It looks nice. Awesome. Is there another? Is there a certain benefit to that, over just you know? Not according to John. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't I, I, see I, it. It's any good. any claimed benefits? For me, um, I don't know if it seasons it any better or worse. I don't have the wisdom of, of that yet, but um, I think it looks nice, and it it maximizes a small space. If yeah. You don't have a lot of level ground. I see. Um, There's no doubt it compacts the pile. Yeah. And it, it looks nice, and uh, it's great habitat for snakes, for uh, for deer mice, uh, for all sorts of insects. So, awesome. in the meantime, well, what are you burning for species right now? Uh, ash. Um, I burned some elm. That was pretty interesting. Hmm. Um, yeah, just some ash. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's all I got seasoned. Hmm. Yeah, I'm burning three-year-old ash at the moment. Soon to oh, wow. get into my other pile. Which Probably pretty dry, no? Very dry. And this one was under a covered roof, too. So mm. I actually went through it faster than I thought I would. <laughs> I think it was a little. It was getting towards too dry. You know, when the pot, when, when ash kind of gets like that real light yeah. feel to it, I don't know how to describe it, but it's lighter than you pick it up and you're like, this is too light. Yeah. Something's wrong. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, I burned through that, so I'm happy that's gone. Uh, the rest of my pile is going to be a lot of soft maple, and I think that's mostly it. 
soft maple and ash mixed in. But next year, next year's going to be good. Next year, I've got some white oak, some red oak, some hickory, um, a lot of denser species, some sugar maple, a lot of denser species mixed in that I've been saving for two and a half years now. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to be ready to burn that, that red oak, uh, some hard maple, soft maple, some black birch. Um, so that's going to be pretty exciting. That's seasoning pretty good now. But um, like I said, I'm just going to give it another, give yeah. it another year. Um, yeah. yeah, I found that, I mean, I made a rule to myself. I'm not bringing any firewood home that I could just get off my own property, mm. you know. So ash, red maple, sugar maple, and cherry are not coming home in the bed of my truck. Unless it's, like, maybe loaded by someone and cut by someone else and it just appears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not putting my effort into it because I could do my own management in my own woods and do better management for myself. Uh, by cutting those trees off myself. So the only thing I'm bringing home is what I talked about, hickory and oak. and So that's in a pile. But uh, red maple's where it's at. I do love it. I mean, it's not quite the BTU, but, man, does it season fast. It's so clean, and it's so easy to split, hmm. um, at least the size trees that I'm cutting right now. Yeah, that's kind of the wisdom we want to convey with that module is uh, um, cutting firewood to fulfill your own management goals. It's not just about home heating, although that's the ultimate goal. It's it's about which trees um, and where. Mm-hmm. So Oh, and beach. I decided I'm gonna, I was going to leave some beach, but walking past them with their leaves off the other day, I decided they're done. I don't, <laughs> love, I don't love their crowns, so I got a whole bunch of beach coming down. <laughs> let them sprout. I think I'm going to let the whole corner of my property sprout. I just want to thicken it up. It's more about wildlife. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking to. Yeah, everybody's out there to grow timber, and it's like it's if it's not. Re, I feel like if it's not regenerating, you know, suitable hardwood timber quality trees, then it's a, deemed a failure. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not what it's all about. And I'm not looking to turn the old Catskills into a beach thicket either. Oh, but what I'm saying is, <laughs> we got the Adirondacks already. <laughs> there's a corner of my property that I think would benefit from some really quick diverse thickness of habitat low to the ground and that's how it's going to be provided so more to come yeah it's good to look out for that stuff and firewood seems like i mean i don't i don't burn i don't have a wood stove where i'm at but uh, it seems like a really good way to get out in your forest and get to know it like you wouldn't know you know certain area of your your forest uh well you know you you have the training to see that but you know a a run-of-the-mill landowner doesn't have that training uh, and doesn't uh, spend a lot of time in their forest. If they start managing using firewood, getting two goals done uh, with one uh, action, then they kind of get to know their forest more, and they can see that stuff uh, once they get out there more often. Yeah, and it could take you to every corner. Yeah. You know, it gives you a purpose to be in the woods. Right. Anything to give you a purpose. Yeah, how many times in a consultation do you hear, oh, I haven't been to this part of my forest and. Mm-hmm. I heard it today. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we yeah. actually walked up on his property line, and he's like, I didn't even know my line was here. Wow. I didn't think I owned this far, and I didn't think these trees were mine. They were beautiful sugar maples. You were there with me last year. Oh, yeah? If you worked, walked further up that bank from where we stopped flagging those trees, uh-huh. they got even better. Oh, nice. And they were already good. Yeah. So. Well, that's good. Makes it all worth it. Yeah. Um, what about sapwood? You have your sample all set? Um, yes and no. I um, I don't know. If, I don't. I'm undecided 
what I'm doing this season. I started a big house project. Oh, okay. Um, which I've been wanting to do. It's, I've been deeming it a winter project. I'll see how far along I am come sap season. If I'm far along with it and feeling done enough, I'll take a, I mainly want a break from house remodeling. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll take a break and do the full six week season. If not, I think maybe I'll cut back and, uh, just hit like the, Fast and Furious, two to three weeks that I see in the towards that always comes towards the latter part of the season, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe hit that and call it a day. Um, but yeah, to answer your question about wood, I've got some Norway spruce and I've got a bunch of aspen. Um, yes, that's what I'm burning. Nice. I think I got about five sticks of that spruce I got from you last year, so. That'll be going in first, but yeah, I got uh, aspen for the first time, um, so that's that's going to be really neat to to boil with, and I got these bark slabs of hemlock and and white pine, so I'm cool. all set to go. Awesome. Yeah, speaking of that, I'll be uh, starting to schedule um, maple backyard maple programs for the the forest farming program at CFA. Um, yeah, what's that entail? So that's uh, me uh, coming to your property and helping you get started with maple syrup. You know, it's something that people have been doing in the Catskills for uh, a really long time, you know, a couple hundred years maybe. And um, and so it's just a cool thing to get, uh, become a part of. Uh, and so if you don't really know where to start or if you're kind of confused, because it can be something really simple, but it can also be kind of complex if you wanted to go that route. But uh, basically, we'll kind of help you out with uh, getting off on the right foot at a backyard scale, um, helping you out with those skills and uh, tapping some trees for you and uh, guiding you through that process. So that'll be obviously in the syrup season. So, you know, February uh, around then, but I'll be scheduling them soon. So if... uh, you know, if anybody's interested, that's yeah, the, something that's a, a possibility. At this point, yeah, the winter tree ID might be the, the hardest part for some people just getting into Oh, for it. sure, yeah. You might think you knew where your maples were, but I will tell you, uh, last year I had a consultation. And, uh, you know, I'm talking, to the, it's in, it was in the winter. It was, you know, around sugaring season. I can't remember exactly when. Um, but we hadn't gone to his forest yet, and he said, you know, I... I tried to tap a tree this year and I didn't get any sap. And I was like, well, you know, when did you tap it? And I was like, you know, trying to get some clues as to what might have went wrong. And uh, we walk over to the tree and immediately I see that it's not a sugar maple tree. Mm. It's not a maple at all. In fact, um, it was an ash tree. So, you know, I had to kind of break it to him that he didn't tap a maple tree. And uh, But yeah, so I think you might know... Uh, or think you know what your trees are when the leaves are on, but uh, winter can be pretty difficult to identify the trees. Um, uh, well, difficult until you know what to look for, I think. Um, I always wanted to hang a bucket on the utility pole that comes through the property <laughs> where I am. It would just give me a chuckle every time. I <laughs> it's just for your own personal life. <laughs> anybody who comes over just to see it, I don't know. That'd be funny. <laughs> that one hasn't given anything. You gonna tap more or less trees in? Yeah, just two more trees this year, just because they're the two larger ones that are close to the house. They're by the road, um, 
But other than that, all the other sugar maples on the property are either way too far or not big enough. Hmm. Um, but the ones I've, I so I'm tap about twelve trees, and I'm pretty happy with them. I know which my what my star uh, tree is. Um, for obvious reasons, it's like the one that's south-facing side of the hill, plenty of room, um, no competition from other trees. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've definitely learned a lot from last year. Um, doing it by hand with buckets. And since I have all my wood uh, set up, uh, i probably see if I can boil uh, mostly every night. Um, last year I would just collect it throughout the week in this big um, Rubbermaid uh, I think about 40 gallon container and I would uh, boil on the weekends mm. but you know boiling for six eight hours um, really uh, um, ties me up so I might just boil a little bit throughout the week and then cover it and uh, see what I have at the end of the week and uh, can it from there nice yeah that's what I do I tap or I excuse me I boil every run every time the trees run Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'll rebuild my cinder block uh, boiling arch and uh, go from there. Well, right now is definitely the time to be thinking about it. If you're making changes, um, I had two consultations today with CFA members, and tapping maple trees was a, one of the topics that came up on both of those conversations. So, yeah, for sure, and that's it's a good time, especially about the wood, because I feel like you know. Uh, Last year when we were speaking to members, they would come to our, you know, CFA does usually a, um, a maple syrup demonstration, um, and it gets people all excited, but they may not have uh, had the forethought to get, you know, wood or other supplies together, and so it's a good time now, and most things are slowing down, you have a little more time, and uh, you can be prepared. What about uh, wildlife in the forest, you guys? Notice anything lately? Hmm. Nothing. Not really. I heard yeah. snow geese in Margaretville yesterday. Oh yeah. Yep. Nice. I never saw them, but they're flying too high in, in the clouds. But yeah, I could yeah. hear them. So they have a different um, sound than Canada geese. Yeah. So the untrained ear, most people wouldn't think of the difference, but once you hear it once, I think it's one of those things you'll pick up on forever mm-hmm. after. So. Anybody listening is curious, look up um, a call of a snow of a snow goose. I would say it's more of a higher pitched barking honk, if that makes any sense. It does, yeah. Um, a little sharper, crisper, definitely higher pitched. Hmm. But yeah, you didn't. I didn't have to see them to know exactly what they were, and I never even looked. Actually, I don't think I could see them. I didn't even look up. <laughs> yeah. I was like snow geese pointed yeah. up towards the sky. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I've been seeing a lot of eagles. Uh, bald eagles around uh was driving uh the batavia kill uh runs along uh where uh where i stay and i was driving down the road around the bend and i just caught an eagle trying to get something in the stream there and i and it flew up and out and i don't think it had anything that i can see but um but yeah i've seen a lot of eagles around bald eagles around so that's yeah, really cool. neat. i've seen about three today <laughs> Just yeah, I've perched up quite in trees. A few too. Yeah, right above the East Branch, Delaware, just kind of hanging out, mm-hmm. looking for fish or prey. I assume. Yeah. Another thing, I've, I don't know why it's been on my mind, but because I because I, I saw another one over the weekend. But I feel like I've seen a lot of laid up arches, stone arches for boiling syrup, long ago in the woods. Um, this year, I've found three or four more. 
Wow. Um, I've always known about a few and taken pictures of them and documented in my head where they are, but um, saw there's one property that I hunted. They had two, one on the front side of the mountain and then on the back side of the mountain, same parcel of land, there was another one. So I don't know what their history was of the farm, or but they were definitely into syrup, and obviously they couldn't couldn't get sap up and over to the other side, yeah. so they boiled <laughs> on both sides. They're like, why not both? Yeah. And the um, second one, which was closer to the farmhouse and the the barn, had uh, there's an old door of the. It was laid up stone for the arch, but they must have, I guess, leader evaporator company must have sold farmers the cast iron doors for that setup uh-huh. at one time because it had a door still hanging there off the hinges, hanging from the stone. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I thought that was really neat. I don't, nice. know, I don't know the history on that, but that's somewhere between like the real old to the, but not quite modern. Yeah, it's somewhere in the middle when technology was changing. Right. Um, it must be a real rare point in history. Yeah, I remember um, on our uh, old growth hike last year, last summer, with Mike Kudish, um, he brought us to um, a Native American um, sap arch, which was pretty cool. Well, yeah, that one was definitely older than the rest. Yeah, I mean, you would have easily just walked right over it if you didn't really uh, know what to look for if you, you weren't. The U-shaped pattern on yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I didn't know what it was until he told us we should be looking at it, saying it was something. Then I knew right away what he was getting at. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's well. pretty cool to find those. Uh, yeah, evidence. It's been happening for a really long time. Well, a lot of times the trees are still there too. It's like you yeah. can imagine. I, that cues you in. And then I start looking at the trees and looking for old swell marks where the tree might have calloused over these old old wounds. And I don't know, just. Uh, Makes you think, as long ago that was, as these woods were still there. And, yeah, you know, I remember on a, a, another member's property, we uh, he had just recently had a pretty large maple cut down, but um, and you could see some some tap holes in the right at the base of the stump, actually. So, whoever was tapping that tree must have been collecting sap right on the ground, uh, which is cool because you know people don't really. Uh, oh, that reminds me, I got one, I cut a tree. Uh, a couple weeks ago uh, on my own time for somebody and uh, it's not very big I want to say that's, I don't even know what the diameter was because I'm gauging it based off the stump um, so the first block of firewood up from the stump so maybe 20 inches off the ground um, it was about 9 inches in diameter and 2 to 3 inches in from that was an old tap hole and it, wow. they tapped so far into it it hit the pith of the tree in the center uh oh <laughs> so i sliced off a couple of cookies for you too i figured maybe you wanted them for a show piece or a desk piece or something that's they're, they're at funny. my house if you want them. yeah definitely too small to be tapping that's that's funny <laughs> yeah i thought that was funny <clears throat> your tap hole goes something. almost through the tree yeah kid. hey tap that tree over there and he picks the one that's closer that could have been a practice tree <laughs> yeah so that's that, funny. that was neat. Or, you know, I was looking around, though. I got thinking that there was only, like, two or three other big sugar maple around. I bet they were just tapping everything they could, at, yeah. you know, at one time. And they're like, well, three didn't three didn't produce enough for me, so I better get nine and Let me get this, uh, tap the other six, six tiny ones. <laughs> sapling here, four inch. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. Yeah. I don't have any uh, place to tap, but I might... Uh, 
try and see if I can do a what I call a Mike Porter and kind of tap around town, you know? Yeah, why not? It's yeah. more important about where you have to boil than where you have to tap. Yeah, exactly. As long as you have metal buckets, yes, people love the nostalgia and yeah. are happy to have you tap their trees. It's a nice look. and Yeah. That's cool. Maybe I can borrow Mike's. I think he's uh, planning to take oh, yeah. a break this year, so he's got plenty. Yeah, he's got plenty of buckets. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like the look of it. It's it's, uh, it's definitely nice. classic. It's definitely what you picture, uh, you know, that the plastic buckets just really don't do it for me. I don't know. They're Plus for you, like, I don't know, you've got a, like a 10-mile commute. It doesn't even have to be like in t- near your, your house, your apartment. It can be like anywhere along that 10-mile stretch. Just keep picking up buckets along the way in, <laughs> in yards and have That's a little true. tank in the back of your car. There you, you go. Satmobile. Sat- yeah, right. <laughs> Anybody can make, make a some. name for myself in this really town here. Sweet ride. Yeah. Like I said, it's more about more <laughs> about the syrup. Or where you're going to produce it, but yeah. Well, guys, that's about all the time we have on From the Forest. Uh, this is uh, From the Forest on 91.3 WIOX. Today we talked about everything on our minds in the last. Uh, when was the last time we did this? Two months ago. Yeah, I'd Ooh, say so. Probably. Yeah. We yeah. call this forestry check-ins. So every so often. We have the staff from Catskill Forest Association on talk about what's on their mind. So, you got any questions? Give us a shout. CatskillForest.org. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Oh, the neon lights were flashing and the icy wind did blow. The water seeped into his shoes and the drizzle turned to snow. His eyes were red, his hopes were dead, and the wine was running low. Then the old man came home. fell on the sidewalk as he stumbled in the street A dozen faces stopped to stare but no one stopped to speak For his castle was a hallway and the bottle was his friend And the old man stumbled in from the forest Up a dark and dingy staircase the old man Way. His ragged coat around him as upon his cot he lay And he wondered how it happened that he'd ended up this way Getting lost like a fool in the forest And as he lay there sleeping, the vision did appear Who loved him in the springtime of a long forgotten year When the wildflowers did bloom in the forest She touched his grizzled fingers and she called him by his name And then he heard the joyful sound of children at their games Garden Town, where the